Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 14. This is your host, Blem. And this is your co-host, Mike D. And we had a conversation before we started this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And we learned that you score more goals in their team and you don't give up goals, you're going to win the game. Right, Chuck? Yeah, thank you guys for listening to Season 3, Episode 14. That's going to be the end of the episode. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs> hey, no, but that is the basis of just about any sport that's out there. You score more than you can see, you're going to win. All right, so we're going to keep it real simple for you all this week, all right? But it's been three weeks since we last recorded a podcast. But listeners, you know, I guess distance makes the heart grow fonder. So let's get into it and remind those folks why they love listening to us, Mike D. In this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, we will recap two of the biggest storylines from MLS Match Week 12, including the Hell is Real Derby and Toronto FC earning their first win since sacking Chris Armas. And we'll also break down the U.S. Men's National Team's 1-0 win over Haiti in their opening match of the Gold Cup. So much to break down. So, Mike D., let's start with our game of the weekend, Columbus Crew versus FC Cincinnati, Lucas Zellerion versus Luciano Acosta. Hell is real. This match had everything. A goal 25 seconds in, a comeback, seven yellow cards, one red card, 32 fouls, two of the best playmakers in the league, intensity, heart, everything a derby should be. Mike D, what were your thoughts, emotions, and takeaways from this one? Um, I loved, you know, the crew's ability to fight back and deny FC Cincinnati their first win in TQL Stadium. Um, definitely one of the best games to watch this week, this, uh, this week in Week 12, and that's not speaking from a biased perspective. You know, I am a crew fan, but it was definitely one of the better games to watch because, like you said, it had everything. Um, it was action-packed, uh, everything that you want to Derby. And, you know, with these guys, there's a, a lot of passion when these two teams come together. Um, and we saw that on display Friday night. This is a tie that feels like a win for me. Um, missing many players right now and, and rescuing a point to our rivals in their home stadium, it just feels like a W. So um, Zello's goal in stoppage time of the first half really changed the momentum of this game because – in the second half, the crew were much better. Uh, overall, missing players and being able to rescue a point where, um, you know, you may not have rescued that point was their saving grace and really made me proud of the crew. Uh, there were little things here and there, uh, like players, Zella and Nagby, trying to find the game and resorting back to their natural positions that they've been playing. But overall, good performance from, from the boys and some players stepping up, you know, Marlon Harrison and Miguel Berry scored the, the game-tying goal. I think one of the biggest things that stood out for me was Harrison Awful not tracking Luciano Costa on Cincy's second goal. He was ball watching. You know, that whole little sequence was going down there right there at the top of the 18. And it was happening really quickly. But when Lucio slips on the, slips on the outside, Harrison Awful is just is ball watching. And he slips right past him and is able to put himself in a good position to, to pick up a a scrap there to score that goal. And he's too dangerous a player not to keep up with. So um, if he, if he had tracked him, if a fool had tracked him, then they, they, the crew may have walked away, walked away with three points. So you're talking about a little bit about Harrison off full and he is aging. And we did bring in Marlon Harrison to be his, the backup right back to Harrison off full. And we've seen Marlon Harrison 
transition into more of a six role in that position of need now that Artur is out and we just got injuries. Liam Frazier is now with the Canadian national team. And I'll get to Marlon Hairston in a minute, but we're talking about Afoul here. And after he got that red card, I believe the Columbus crew switched to, I believe Caleb Porter said a 4-4-1, and Abdul Salam slid back there to the right back spot. And I want to ask, because somebody was in our mentions on Twitter today asking about possible lineups for this weekend. And I think we're going to see something very similar to what we saw this past weekend, except for Harrison off full spot, maybe. And I think that Abdul Salam is definitely going to start this match at right back this weekend against New York city FC, I believe. But I think he's making a push to make that a permanent move to the starting 11 for the crew. What do you think? Well, I think, yeah, with, with awful aging and they're looking to put somebody in that spot, somebody that's going to be consistent, you know, like Afoul had been for so long in his career. I don't see why, why not, why not continue to give him the reps there, continue to get him experience there and build that consistency. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like I said, I think we'll see a lot more of Abdul Salam. I don't think we brought him in thinking he was going to play this big of a role as early as he is in the season. We're not even halfway through. And I think we're going to see him as a starter sooner rather than later, but you know, we're both crew fans. We could probably talk about the crew all day and I will talk some more about the crew and I'm sure we'll have some dialogue about it, but let's talk a little bit about FC Cincinnati and how they came out and jump down the Columbus crew's throat. I mean, it seems like from the beginning of the year, the Columbus crew are getting the best of every team that they play against. The crew are literally facing competition that wants to come out there and beat the best. You got to beat the best to be the best. And that's every team's attitude when they play against Columbus. And there's already that derby or rivalry between FC Cincinnati and the Columbus crew. And, you know, Columbus crew fans will say, oh, yeah, Cincinnati's little brother. You know, Ohio's black and gold. And then FC Cincinnati comes out and slaps us in the face when Luciano Acosta tiptoes the end line, gets past the slow. And I'm not so sure about Vito Warmgore. We can talk about that a little bit as well. But he tiptoes past him and then Castillo bangs home what could be one of the goals of the week. You know, that's, that's a slap in the face. And then from there, they scored again in the 24th minute, I believe, when, like you said earlier, Harrison Afoul fell asleep. The ball was getting knocked around in the box. And Luciano Acosta slid it in back stick. Those were all great things. And those we're not used to seeing – Cincinnati scored two goals or you know, two goals in a game or two goals in a game against that quickly the two goals yeah, that quickly especially against the Columbus crew and I think that's great that they're able to do that one thing that really stood out to me though was the pressure that FC Cincinnati was able to apply to the Columbus crew when we were in possession we're starting with two guys that haven't started in the midfield together ever in their professional careers and for the Columbus crew with Marlon Harrison who's just transitioning into that new six spot and Perry Kitchen, who's just coming back from being healthy from injury and uh, Kubo for Cincinnati. I think he was their press machine in the midfield and Atonga, Acosta, uh, Joe Jow, all of those guys, like they, they pressed the crew and they pressed as a unit and they really posed a huge threat for the Columbus crew and put us under a lot of pressure. And when you apply that kind of pressure to guys that aren't used to playing important starting role minutes, it can be problematic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't even know what else I can say to that. It's, it's just simply that when you have guys that don't play the minutes or haven't played the minutes, don't have the experience, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to be under pressure. They're going to be frazzled a bit. Um, but with that being said, I, I think they were able to deal with it ultimately. You know, they, Cincinnati did, I mean, they looked really good. I thought, you know, at least most of the first half and, you know, even into the second half, but the first half, even in possession, um, keeping the ball staying composed, uh, knocking the ball forward to get some opportunities. 
I thought they looked good. Um, and they did, they pressed together as a team and it, and it definitely put us under pressure and ultimately led to two goals. Um, but you know, the, the tide shifted, the tide shifted and it's because of that man, that man. Yeah. We went down a man with, with our full getting the red and it was a really uh, emotionally charged game, obviously being a Derby and, and hard tackles happening all over, all over the place and cards coming out left and right. Um, but there was a huge shift when, when Zello scored that goal in the stoppage time of the first half that me, even me and you, when we were talking on the phone, you told me, you know, I think that the best thing that could have happened for us was our full getting the red card, you know, and then they scored the goal and we go into halftime and we're both sitting there like, well, we weren't, we weren't totally convinced that the crew were out yet. And then they came back and, and ended up making up some, uh, some ground there in the second half and scoring two goals to, to secure the point, which, is is the first time in a while I feel like we've seen the crew. It was almost Nash. It was Nashville esque. You know, you see the crew be resilient and 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 fight tooth and nail to to get back into the game and and not allow those boys to take uh, the W in TQL. Yeah, it is very Nashville esque. It's two straight games now where the Columbus Crew have come down from two nil deficits. So we're taking a page out of Nashville's book. But. To, to give some more credit to FC Cincinnati, like th- I think they figured some things out. You know, let's, let's give a little bit of credit where credit's due. We give credit to the crew all the time, and I'm not going to sit here and beat down FCC, but they're unbeaten in four, and they've got eight points in those, in those four matches. And, you know, we talk about the production of Luciano Acosta. You know, Luciano Acosta is the glue to that team. Uh, Jeff Cameron's the glue in the back. You know, they, they've picked up some pieces that are really good for FC Cincinnati. Uh, I think they need to go out and probably sign somebody in this window, probably in the midfield. They started with Kubo and Madunianin um, in their midfield with Acosta above them. So I think they, they need to go out and find somebody to be in that midfield. But something that's disappointing to me has been Brenner. Brenner really hasn't produced for FCC the way that they need them to. Although they've moved up in the table – uh, there are a couple spots below the playoff line right now, but he's not producing at the level that a $9 million man should be producing. No, I, I agree. He he really is not. What is he, one of the most expensive MLS signings ever? And just not. You you should be hearing his name more, and you're not. But credit to FC Cincinnati. They are starting to figure things out. I mean, Luciano Acosta is leading the way. He's leading the way. He's creating. He's, he's opening up. Um, opportunities for that team and good on them they needed it mm-hmm. yeah Luciano Acosta in this game he completed the most dribbles in the match and he was also the most fouled player in the match you talked about the intensity of the match and I believe I put out, out a tweet on uh, obviously on Twitter that's where you tweet mm. uh, in, in the first half of the game I said what's over under on red card like what minute is it 39th and then I'll full got it in the 42nd so mm-hmm. I, I set the line pretty good Vegas might want to look at me and hire me mm. you know but I also said it during the game. I said, this game gives me Nations League final vibes. U.S. Men's National Team versus Mexico that we saw, you know, a month, month and a half ago. That was the kind of intensity, the passion that I saw in that game. I haven't felt that in such a long time. But it, it was a really, really fun game. Caleb Porter's come out and said multiple times, just like MLS Cup last year when Nagby and Artur were out and our boy Aiden Morris had to step into the midfield and lock down Nico Ladero. Like the, the Columbus crew really do step up the pressure. They, they do a really good job in training about preparing all their guys for whatever situations. And they've transitioned Marlon Harrison into a six and was saying Marlon Harrison in that position. Now I've said his name a couple times, but he was perfect in his passing in this match, 53 for 53 in his passing. And yes, there were a good number of passes where he was playing the ball back, playing the way he faced, but he played 
the role perfectly when you got recruited to be a backup right back for Harrison on full, and then you come in and fill in for, uh, you know, championship winning side and have to play a completely different position and are able to do it at a very high level. That that is awesome by Marlon Harrison. So shouts to him. But well, one person I want to give major shouts out to before we get into Caleb Porter's antics because uh, I think we got to talk a little bit about that, right? Uh, Miguel Barry, you know, he got loaned out at the beginning of the year to the San Diego Loyal, and they just brought him back because Giassi Zardes is with the U.S. Men's National Team at Gold Cup, and Bradley Wright Phillips is injured. And so they brought Miguel Barry back into the fold, and what do you know? He scores the game winner, peels off the Cincinnati center back's shoulder, opens up, and just chips the goalkeeper. It was a wonderful goal. It was a wonderful moment for Aiden Morris's roommate. You know, how cool is that for a guy that, two weeks ago was playing for uh, the San Diego loyal. So I, I think that's a really cool story from Miguel Barry, but let's, let's talk a little bit about Caleb Porter, Caleb Porter's antics after the game. So obviously it's a derby, a lot of, a lot of intensity in the match. He feels it. Honestly, the Columbus crew fans are probably louder than uh, the SEC fans. I could hear the Nord, the Nor on tour, Nordeca on tour on television, but Caleb Porter turned around after the match and shushed him. What did you think about that? I mean, I love it. It's passion, right? You you love to see that kind of thing. I'm a Liverpool fan, as our listeners may or may not know. And one thing that I've always loved about Jurgen Klopp is that he gets involved with the fans. You know, you'll see him on the sideline, turning around, telling his fans to get up, support their, their, his, their team. And that's the passion that you love to see. He's a player's coach. And to see that at the end of the game, you know, for him to turn around and shush the fans, how can you have, how can you not get, I mean, I'm getting chills to think about how can you not get behind a guy like that? I mean, when you talk about Miguel Berry coming in and, you know, scoring a goal or Marlon Harrison, you know, stepping into a role that he's not normally playing and, and doing as well as he did and under the circumstances, how can you not get behind a guy like that? I mean, that just makes you want to go out and, and, and just put everything you got out there because you know that you have somebody like that on the sideline that has just as much passion as you do. And he's behind you the whole way. And he oh, threw I love a little, him. yeah, yeah, me too. How could you not as a crew fan? Like it, it's a rivalry, like you love it. It felt, it felt like Ohio State, Michigan for for crew fans, honestly. But Caleb Porter threw a little bit more shade in the post game presser. He said they have to be devastated over there in that locker room. How can you be up? How can you be up two zero and up a man and not win the game? Mm, yikes! That's so. A tweet came out today from the Columbus crew. That is only the sixth time in MLS history that's ever happened where a team has been up. 2-0, been up a man, and ended up tying the match. So many stats, you know? So many stats. I'm full of- I mean, I saw uh, Castillo's goal was like the 12th fastest goal scored in MLS history. You know, it's just there's always a new stat happening. But I mean, super cool, super cool. 12th fastest goal in MLS history, but definitely the fastest goal in FCC history. Oh, probably, yeah, I mean, <laughs> for sure. There's not, there's not a whole lot of goals scored in their history, right. so it's definitely there's the not fastest. Not so many to take away from, yeah. Sorry for all the shade thrown at you, FCC. <laughs> we, we, we still got mad love for you, okay? Uh, so, before we move on, Mike T, the crew have tied three straight, but they've come back, you know, two down and two straight matches, like I said. But they haven't won a match since June 19th. Like I said, they've tied three straight. Like, how does the crew win games? You know, we're obviously – we have a depleted roster right now because of international duty and injuries and whatnot. Like, we got NYCFC this weekend, like, how, how does the crew start to win games? I mean, I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you don't get scored on and you score more goals. You know, it's just as simple as that. Like, we, we just wrap up the pod right here, you know. But 
I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit difficult right now. I think obviously because Zardes is not there. Um, we're just a roster in, in our lineup is it's just all over the place. Um, Arthur is out, obviously. Uh, Perry Kitchen is just coming back. BWP's hurt. Uh, Vito's not looking so hot back there. He's just not. Um, so there's just a lot going on. And we talked about this before the Nations League break. You know, you got to just make it to the break, right? I don't know. I, I think this is going to be a season-long thing. I think we just got to make it to the end of the season. I really do. I think we just need to get to a spot, you know, if we can make it to playoffs, you know, wonderful, you know, but the focus here is just don't lose games. However you can do it. Don't, don't lose games. Um, Zella playing up top is, is not going to get it done. I mean, we need him where he plays normally. We need Nagby where he plays normally. Um, Miguel Barry, if he gets more minutes, great. You know, BWP comes back. Maybe he can get into some sort of form, but until we start to see some of these pieces, you know, or somebody step up, then I, I think it's going to be more of the same, unfortunately. And I don't think it's anything to do with the skill set, who they have on the team. I just think we're really banged up and there's just a lot of stuff going on. I mean, Zarda's playing right now in Gold Cup and um, even with World Cup qualifying coming up, you never know what's going to happen. We talked at the beginning of the season when Molino, BWP, and Matan all got signed. We're like, oh, man, we got depth for a CCL, for a CCL run, a Supporter Shield run, yep, and yep. an MLS Cup run. And as the season has progressed, like, they keep peeling the onion, man. There's just yeah. more and more layers to this thing, and there's no longer CCL. We're not going to win the Supporter Shield. It, that's just not going to happen. So now we got to prepare for playoffs. You know, we, we got to try to make sure that we're healthy. We have a nice rotation going into that. And, you know, thank God that we are honestly as deep as we are and we have players that are positionally flexible like a Marlon Harrison and guys like that that can fill in as needed, where needed. Those are the coach's favorite guys, obviously. So thank God we're at least that deep that we have that positional rotation um, to at least hopefully compete, continue to compete and survive the regular season. But we're going to get back to a quote. We're going to have a different conversation about the attackers in the league. Caleb Porter, after the game, in that same post-match presser, said, Lucas Elrion, a lot of people won't agree with me on this, is the best attacking player in the league. Mike D, you got his jersey. We both want them to erect the statue already outside of lower.com field. Is he the best player in the league? Is it the guy in New England? Who is it? As much as I would love for it to be Zella, it's the guy in New England. I mean, you just can't argue with the numbers here. 76% dribble success, 75 chances created. 68 of those are key passes that led to a shot. You know, while Zella, 50% success, um, and 24 chances created, 23 of those led to a shot. So it's hard to argue with the numbers. Um, I think that what, what makes Zella so much different, I think, than, than – Carlos Hill is when you watch him play he, he it's an eye test kind of thing he has something different about him in the way that he attacks in the quickness and the ability to keep the ball and his shiftiness that's just a little bit different than Carlos Hill for me um so it it's hard to put my finger on how to explain it exactly but I can see where Caleb Porter is coming from but it's just hard to to argue with the success of Carlos Hill I mean he is He's incredible. Um, Zell is incredible as well. He's, he's the most important player for the Columbus crew. I will give him that. He is the best attacking player for the Columbus crew. I will give him that. And he is, if not 
one of the best and one of the most important players that the crew has ever seen. Um, I mean, there's also guys like, you know, Raul Rui Diaz, who's 55% success in his dribbles and 10 chances created with 10 goals, um, all goals inside the box. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys around the league. I mean, Daniel Shallowy, um, other guys as well that are doing really well for themselves. But uh, in terms of the best, I think right now, Carlos Hill is just a step above. I think it comes down to Carlos Hill, Lucas Elrond. I think those are the, the top two, but I think they play two different roles in their teams. Carlos Hill, Carlos Hill, uh, you see a lot of times for the New England Revolution, Bruce Serena's squad, you see him play out right, and then he plays as that inverted winger, and he gets that free-roaming role where oftentimes you'll see him pop up out right, you'll see him pop up in the middle, you'll see him pop up in the half spaces just wherever. Lucas Elrond stays a little bit more central, when he's trying to find the game and he's struggling to find the game in the middle, then you'll see him kind of go wide and he doesn't find the same kind of success as Carlos Hill does just because it doesn't fit in the Columbus crew system. But you mentioned some of those other guys. You also got Nani in there with six goals, three assists, 22 chances created, 19 key passes. We were going to talk about him today, but we could talk about a million things today, but the man Demir Krylak out in real Salt Lake is absolutely killing the game right now. Dropped them from my fantasy team right before kickoff. So I'm kicking myself right now, but that guy's got seven goals and three assists, 18 chances created 15 key passes, shallowy seven and three, 23 and 20, but somebody that's only played in nine matches that we talked about earlier that plays for FC Cincinnati that has pretty good numbers. Luciano Acosta, three goals, two assists, 31 key passes and 33 chances created. That's far more than Lucas Elarion and Luciano Costa's only played in nine games. So we, we, could, we could have all these conversations about who's the best attacking player in the league. But I think in the grand scheme of things, like, that's important. But all these guys we just listed are probably MVP players for their teams. And without these guys on these teams, their teams aren't nearly as successful. So it's more so about how they operate within the systems that they play in under the tactics that their coaches deploy and things like that. So they're all great players. So we could, you know, we, we saw two weeks ago, Lucas Eller and Carlos Hill play against each other. It's not like they're one-on-one directly matched up. That's never going to happen. That's just not going to happen. The, the scheme isn't going to let that happen. And I don't think either of them scored in that game. That, I mean, they kind of cancel each other out. Like, but they're both great players in that regard, you know. But this is, this is a chess match in this league, and the coaches are going to play to their team's strengths, and they're going to play to the other team's strengths. So, anyways, that's, I think that's a really good conversation to have going forward. You know, I think Carlos Hill does lead the MVP race, but there's players for every team that their teams would be so – less successful if they were not there it's a good it's a good like we have we have mvp right we have golden boot winner we have defender of the year we have rookie of the year whatever they're calling it now i can't remember they changed it young player of the year i believe player of the year why don't they make another category for best attacking player i think that would be an interesting because i mean they'll figure out how to come up with the stats to justify it yeah, but, it's, I mean, there's got to be a certain criteria. There's got to be, know? yeah. Because like you said, I mean, Carlos Hill and Zellerone, they play two totally different types of, of midfield position, right? So, yeah. Um, who fits into that that category? How do you criteria – or how do you build the criteria on it? And then who is the best yeah. player? Yeah, that would just be hard to to figure out just because majority of the times when you have your Lana Donovan MVP award winner, it's – it's primarily going to be an attacking player. And that's primarily all the guys that are going to be on the ballot. Like half those right. guys we just listed will probably be there. So essentially it's the same kind of award, but I understand what you're saying. Because yeah. My brain's just smooth, right? Yeah. No, no, no. It's quite, it's quite, 
it's quite wrinkly. You just you just want to you know break it down even further. You want a certain type of attacking player to win an right. award, you know? Right. Yeah. But then we'd have to break it down by every every single position on the field. Six, eight, ten, nine, you know, and it gets just too convoluted. So we, we won't we won't do that here. Right. But Mike D, for God's sake, Carlos Hill, two goals, seven assists, seventy-five chances created, sixty-eight key passes. Are you kidding me? It's it's incredible. It's incredible. It's it just it's laughable at you know how good this guy is compared to um, even the next guy. I think going into the weekend or going into the week 12, he uh, had like 32 more passes or 32 more uh, chances created than the next guy behind him, which is just, it's incredible. It's insane. Yeah. Nobody even comes close to that number, but while we're on the, the topic of Carlos Hill, he may have scored one of the one of the goals of the week. So we're, we're, before we get into the whole Carlos Hill, Toronto FC little segment here, Mike D, let's roll out our goals of the week. Got a feeling they're going to be the same one, so I'm going to turn it over to you now. Who scored MLS Week 12's goal of the week? Go ahead. It's there wasn't there, so there was goals scored this week, right? But there wasn't really a whole lot of spectacular goals. There was some good plays. Um, there was a, a Montreal goal that was really good. A uh, nice through ball that came to Kyoto where he was able to to hey, keep out the, the keeper. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm a yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the goal of the week for me after looking at all the goals that happened was Zellerion's goal against Cincinnati. And I know, I know listeners out there, you're like, oh, these guys, this, there's just a crew podcast, right? No. Okay, I'm, I'm, this one is, is not – this is a, an unbiased opinion here because it's what it meant for the team. Um, Nagby was charging down the field – uh, coughed up the ball at the top of the 18 and it rolls right into the path of Zellerion where he strikes it first time with an outside bend. Um, Vermeer doesn't even move, just frozen. I don't know if he couldn't see it or whatever, um, but it's a fantastic finish with great technical ability. I mean, to, to hit the ball, you know, on the roll like that with the outside of your foot and put it into the, the position that you want it to be in is not an easy thing to do. And it made it look effortless. Um, but the reason is not because of the, the type of goal that he scored. Like I said, it's because of, what the goal meant, right? So SC Cincinnati scores two goals in, you know, the first 25 minutes of the game and things are not looking good for the crew. Then Harrison Afool is sent off um, and the crew are now down um, 10 men. And right before halftime hits, Zellerion scores this goal. It lifted the team going into the half to say, okay, even though we're down and we have 10 men, and the game hasn't been going the way that we've been wanting it to go. There's a hope here, right? So that's why Zellerion wins goal of the week for me. Because first of all, yes, the, the goal was great. Technical ability was there. But what it meant for the crew um, was really kind of the takeaway for me and why I chose the goal of the week. Okay. Like deep down in my heart, obviously I got my crew head on. People can't see it because we don't post this video anywhere. But I want to say Lucas Zellerion because the goal was Roberto Carlos-esque the way it bent from outside of the post, inside near stick. Vermeer was absolutely frozen, shaking in his boots. Crew take one back. He's like, oh, no, there's another one coming. And Lucas Elleron almost got another one. If Lucas Elleron would have scored that one-timer, the, the in-step swinger, the one-time at the 18, that would have been the goal of the week. But for the sake of me not saying the same thing, and for the sake of me not praising Carlos Hill any more than I already have and already have over the past year. I'll give it to Brian Galvan. I believe that's his name for the Colorado mm -hmm. Rapids. Mm -hmm. uh, his first start of the season. I think, uh, it's, I believe, I think it's pronounced Galvan. Galvan. Hey, go ahead. 
sure, sure, sure. Thank you for being culturally diverse and correct yeah. for me there. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, Diego Rubio found him on the right side. He took a touch with his right foot, took a prep touch with his left back end near stick, and uh, banged it with his left foot off the back post and in, and it went right over one of the Minnesota defenders' uh, heads, gave him a little haircut, gave him a little buzz cut off the post and in. So for a kid that's, uh, you know, I believe he's still a teenager. He's in one of his first years in MLS, and it was his first start of the year there. You know, they're, they're missing a couple guys for international duty, telling Acosta, Sammy Vines. So they had to switch up their roster a little bit for him to come in, start, uh, you know, take that prep touch inside and hit that back stick the way he did and put it where, you know, where the sun don't shine, where the keeper can't get it. Good for the, good for the kid, man. I, I loved it. But another goal that could have been considered goal of the week, Carlos Hill getting that first goal back for the New England Revolution with his magical left foot. I even tweeted, I said, I said, Carlos Hill is a magician, and New England Revolution liked the tweet, and I was like, oh, my God, are we famous? But anyways, mm. it, it was an effortless free kick, right, in the 56th minute, but it wasn't enough to spark a comeback against Toronto FC, who had it won since May 12th, ironically, against our Columbus crew, and they recently parted ways with first-year head coach Chris Armas. This win was a huge response to their 7-1 loss to D.C. United, and now, after almost a year, they're headed back to Toronto. In an SB Nation article written by Anthony Corey of The Walking Red, the opening line states, the revolution begins in New England. See what they did there. Will this win over the top team in the East serve as momentum to push for a playoff spot, or was this just a fluke win coming off the new coaching bump? I don't think so. I think, well, I mean, you could say that it happens. It's happened often when, when teams change their, their manager or they drop their, their coach. Uh, they get a win, you know, the next game or they seem to be doing better. But even if it is that, you know, don't care, right? Whatever, whatever you want to call it, this is exactly what Toronto needed. They beat the number one Eastern Conference team at home, at their home in New England. It's March Madness, baby. This is 16 versus one seed right here. So they beat the number one Eastern Conference team, their home stadium, giving them their first home loss of the season. So now, okay, we have the, the worst team in the Eastern Conference. In the league. In the league, yes, in the league. You know, and Josie's coming back now. Jefferson Soltero and Pozuelo are working their way back to form, and they have a team that has players who knows what it feels like to win everything. This locker room is, is, a, is a seasoned locker room. They just need to figure out a way to stop getting scored on their leaking goals. They have 29 goals against sitting in dead last in the league with most goals, uh, goals against. And if they can tidy up the defense, you know, they're still producing enough goals to be contenders. Uh, I think they have 16 and, and if they can get back to this, you know, tidy up the, the back line, score goals, Josie gets back, they get some form here. Um, they're going to get some guys back um, from some, some of this international duty, um, Who's the guy that's in Canada right now? I can't think of his name. Um, Jonathan Osorio. Jonathan Osorio. He's, he'll be back, you know, and he's a, he's a key player for them. So a couple of things here going in the right direction. And um, I, think, I think they're going to be doing just fine. I think they'll get right back to their winning ways, and we'll see Toronto back up at the top of the table. Uh, and it starts with matches against Orlando and New York Red Bulls in the next two weeks at home. Now, the last game that Josie played was against Orlando before he was, you know, dismissed from the team or whatever it was. And he gets to play. He'll be available. We don't know if he's going to play, but he'll be available 
to play in that Orlando game. So this has all the 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 mixture here for for a dub here. So Chris Armas is gone, and it seems like everything okay. Javier Perez comes in as the interim coach. They score three goals for the first time this year. They get a dub against the best team in the East. Maybe it was Chris Armas, man. I I don't know. Then Joe Josie Josie comes back, and he's like, "Everything's good. I'm coming back to the team." Right. Yeah. So, but, but, but yeah, they, they do need to stop leaking goals. Like you said, they've given up and conceded the most goals in the league, but they have guys, they, they have guys that should be able to produce and score goals and they are getting healthy. Soteldo in this last game against New England had a goal and an assist. Pozuelo had an assist and Pozuelo's only started three games this season. He's only had 299 minutes on the field, two assists, Soteldo, four starts, 386 minutes, one goal, one assist. So, these guys are starting to come back healthy, and these are their designated players. Uh, and Josie's coming back, and I believe Josie's their third. So in this whole run, like, they, they had the CCL run. They, I believe they took down Lyon in CCL and moved on to the next round. And so they've, they've had to play with a lot of young guys. And Chris Armas came in and completely changed what Greg Vanny did, who's now implementing his system in LA Galaxy, and they are a completely transformed team. And speaking of Greg Vanny, TFC – under Greg Vandy, made the playoffs five of the last six years. So this is a locker room, like you mentioned, that's used to winning. It has a winning culture in it. Michael Bradley this past week has come out and said, you know what, I need to be a better leader, and I need to really control this locker room. And I watched a hype video last night as I was preparing for this segment, and Javier Perez, the interim head coach, was, you know, giving them their, their pump-up speech. But, you know, he's just the interim coach. You know, he only has so much influence on those guys. But a guy that's, you know, can – Always in the engine room, Michael Bradley, whether in the locker room or in the midfield, he's played for the U.S. Men's National Team. He's earned this team's trust. He is Toronto FC till he dies, honestly. You know, he came out and said, you know, we need to have a response early in this match to that 7-1 to drubbing that was done to us by D.C. United. Like, D.C. United's an okay team. You know, they, they look like they're going to press you to death this year. But Toronto FC has way too much talent to be losing games like this. And it's, it's not something that we're used to. It's not something I want to see. I'm pretty sure both of us picked them rather high, higher up the Eastern Conference table this year. And I think, you know, based off that first result, I think Javier Perez has probably earned his spot as the interim head coach through this year. And now that, you know, once international duties done and Akinola comes back and Osorio comes back and all those guys come back and Soteldo and Pozuelo, continue to build that chemistry with each other as designated players. I think Toronto FC have a chance to make a run. They're going to be the dangerous. Pl- they, they, they have a, there's a lot of season left. we got like 20 weeks left in this yeah. league, which, my God, how many more podcasts do we have to do for this season? That's crazy. It's, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's a whole lot of work we got to do. <laughs> but, like, it, it'll make it even more fun if Toronto makes it fun for us, you know, for a team to be bottom feeders that – They've been bottom feeders. They're dead last in the league. They're wooden spoon winners. They are what FC Cincinnati was for two straight years. Like, that's tough because because Toronto FC has way too much talent to be even put in that same kind of category. No offense to FC Cincinnati this year, but the past few years they've got off. But Toronto FC is way too good to be in the position they're in right now. I expect them – you know, they're not going to come out and blow us away and win five straight or anything like that, but I expect results to be – better I I expect them to perform more consistently and and really put on not necessarily a show but put on more consistent performances across the board Um, 
on average to what we're used to seeing for Toronto FC. I agree. I agree. Saltetto and, um, and Pozuelo both looked really good and they're only going to continue to get better and players coming back and getting into form. Toronto's going to be just fine. Yeah. And so is New England, like New England, they had their backup goalkeeper in there and he, uh, Brad Knight, I believe. Yeah. And he, he, he really messed up that first one to, he, he gift wrapped that one and said, happy Christmas in July. Here's a goal for you. So tell Right. Right. And but you know what you take what you can get when you're in that kind of situation you're Soteldo you're Toronto FC if you're going to give us a couple goals you're going to give us three goals in the first 24 minutes also you know a goal that we didn't mention Endo for Toronto FC that left footed curler from outside the box very good goal completely forgot that was scored that could have been a goal of the week contender as well but I, I like I said they had scored more than two goals all year and they scored three goals in 24 minutes like they came out motivated. They came out with a fire under their ass. I was like, all right, we're, we're here to prove that we're a different team. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's move on to our next segment, shall we? We're going to move on to our segment, All the Small Things, where we talk about small things that happened in the week that maybe went unnoticed from any one given game. So, Blake, you go first. All right, so my All the Small Things of the Week is everything Romel Kyoto did in their match and Montreal's match against New York City FC. Huge 2-1 to win for Montreal. They're unbeaten in five, and Romel Kyoto has a lot to do with that. Romel Kyoto in this match specifically, so he scored a goal early in the first half. He was hanging out on the right side uh, off of the left back shoulder. He was deemed to be offsides later in the – first half I believe he made a run off of the right center back shoulder into space ended up giving him the strong arm got the shot off and then he ended up scoring the goal I'm going to come full circle with this and then he ended up scoring the goal off the Georgie Mihailovic assist Romel Kyoto was drifting in between the two center backs and as soon as Georgie Mihailovic lifted his head up Romel Kyoto left the one center back ran in behind the other center back there was no communication between the two Romel Kyoto got in beat the goalkeeper got by another guy and basically passed it in the net. But the, all the small things for me in that entire game for Romel was his positioning. And he's always looking to isolate a center back or a defender on that back line, whether it's an outside back, but specifically, specifically a center back or, or a half back. He's always looking to isolate them, play off their back shoulder. Montreal isn't necessarily a team that's, you know, going to, beat you with possession and score a goal by, you know, passing the ball all the way down the field. They have to play a little bit vertical. And Romel Kyoto is a quick enough player and a smart enough player that he can beat just about anybody on the back line with his speed. And he's so aware of the opportunity in the spaces next to and behind the center backs and outside backs for opposing defenses that he's always posing a threat. And he's always continuously looking to play in between two backs, whether it's an outside back and a center back or the two center backs. And that is exactly what happened on that goal. They were both caught flat footed, neither communicated. The one passed them on to the second center back center back, took a peek off them for a second, ran in behind. So Romel Kyoto's positioning and always looking to isolate and get in behind center backs and outside backs is the, all the small things for me. It is a key to Montreal's success under Wilfred Nancy's system because they're not necessarily a possession-oriented team. Him and Mason Toy got to stretch the, the field vertically a little bit, and Romel Kyoto is one of the most underrated players in MLS in doing so. So his positioning, getting in behind, absolutely love it. Romel Kyoto, keep doing your thing. That is one of the most dangerous spots for a defender. I mean, for me speaking from playing center back myself, one of the most 
anxiety-driven spots for a player, for a striker to be, is in between you and the, in your next center back or you and your outside back. Because you shift over, you open up space for somebody else to run through, and it, it's just – it's it happened last night. We, we had an indoor game last night, and there was this kid, and he was just standing in between me and our other center back, um, and I'm constantly having to check him, making sure somebody else is not making a run through – it's always better to have them in front of you. But yeah, having that person there in that space, they're there one second and then boom, diagonal run, they're gone. So, and, um, and you just said it in diagonal run, the player that's on the offensive end that's making the run, they know where they're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. And no then the, def- the, the defender has to react. Like even if they're running in a straight line, they're still sprinting, but the defender has to turn and get off of it. And a player like Romel Kyoto with that speed and that awareness where the space is, he's going to beat you every single time. Every time, every time. I know I'm getting cooked. Um, but for me, my all the small things is going to go to a player from the Colorado Rapids. It's going to be Diego Rubio. His decision not, and this was your goal of the week with, with Brian Galvan, his decision not to hit the ball first time that came in from Barrios on the left-hand side was the all the small things for me because Barrios you know, gets the ball down the left-hand wing and he finds, um, he finds uh, uh, Diego Rubio who's sitting there right at the top of the 18, has all the time to, to smack that ball. It was up in the air. It was going to one time it right out of the air. And he goes to wind up, and, he's, and he, takes, he, he decides not to swing his foot through. And the decision not to swing his foot through, to take an extra touch, to find Brian Garvin coming up the right-hand side, paid dividends. But for me, it, it's because Diego Rubio is a guy that is looking to score goals. He, he's, a, he's a goal scorer, and he's not necessarily – a distributor. So for him to have that, that composure to say, and, and the decision-making to say, I'm not going to hit this. There might be a better option. And then have it pay the dividends that it did with Brian Gavon scoring the goal was for me, the all the small things, just that little split second of time to think that there might be something other than maybe I can score a goal. Maybe there's a better, but maybe there's a better pass. So that was what it was for me. Man, strikers being unselfish. It's a beautiful Love thing, isn't it? it? Love to see it. I'd, I'd love to see it more, you know, but Diego Rubio is going to have his chances to score his goals. Good for him to give that one up to Brian Galvan, you know, in his first start getting that goal, right, Mike D? That's right. Hey, but there was another play in that game that was really good. They didn't mean to make it happen, but it was the second goal. Shinyashiki played the give and go to himself. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And then he chipped the keeper. That was very nice. The, the ghost the ghost give and go. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, no, he meant to do it. Totally meant to do it. Oh, absolutely. It's just yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. But I mean, even cool, calm, collected the finish. Just a little chip there. Put a little back sticky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, baby. Rookie, rookie of the year two years ago. Mm-hmm. Guy follows I, me on Instagram. Does he really? <laughs> yeah. Does he follow? Or I think the he follow, I think he follows us. But okay, I was gonna say, does he? he might be. It might be me. I have, to, I have to double check. It might be me. It might be me specifically. Just me, Mike D. Uh, Dyke Mulaney on Instagram. Dyke underscore Mulaney. Just in case anybody else wants to follow. But uh, yeah, let's not let's not get caught up in the details. Hey, get him on the pod. Anyways, listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Out of Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be discussing the U.S. Men's National Team's 1-0 victory over Haiti to start their Gold Cup campaign. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. 
those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild Season 3, Episode 14. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Mike D, did you order those uh, Nations League final wristbands? I didn't yet. God but bless I will. it. Come but on. I'm going to. But I'm going to. I'm going to. They got, they got them in stock. I'm waiting and, for them. And I'm going to use my code at checkout, Gone Wild. Uh, we're paying ourselves. We're investing. Are you going to invest you? or not? I'm going to invest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So the U.S. Men's National Team opened their 2021 Gold Cup campaign with a lackluster 1-0 win over Haiti. I call it lackluster. Mike, do you can call it what you want here in a minute. Heading into the match, what were your initial thoughts on the U.S. Men's National Team's starting 11? Of, I'll go ahead and read it off for you. So from back to front, Turner, Vines, Robinson, Zimmerman, Shaq Moore, Leggett, Yule Acosta, Jonathan Lewis, Jossie Zardes, Paul Ariola. So at first, I don't think a lot of people, not only like maybe the lineup, um, but before the lineup, the selection for Gold Cup. Um, but then you think about it, and um, we, I mean, we have to trust in Triple G, right? There's, there's, there's logic behind these decisions that are being made. You know, the international players that we have recently seen that we saw for, for Nations League, some of those guys are playing for top-tier teams, you know, Chelsea, um, Juventus. Um, so those international players have played their seasons, then Nations League, and then if they were to play Gold Cup, and then they have to be ready for World Cup qualifying. It's a lot of matches to be played in a short period of time at a high level. So ensuring that these players that you want for World Cup qualifying are healthy and not subject to injury is something to keep in mind. So I think that is probably a lot to do with the decision-making here. Um, now for the lineup, it wasn't terrible given the players that were there. I didn't know a whole lot about Shaq Moore, to be honest with you, um, until he was in that lineup and I was a little concerned and that turned out to be really good. Um, I don't know why triple G loves Jackson Yule as much as he does. Um, he's not a bad player. Don't, don't take that as me saying he's a bad player by any stretch. I just think that he's and maybe this is because he sees things that I don't you know he gets paid the big bucks I don't but you know we we, we need to try some new things uh, I think Jackson Ewell is a lot of uh, a back he's not side to side backwards and I, I want to see him get forward a little bit more with his passing um but I would and in that position I you know I would love to see or even in the midfield rather just I would have loved to to see rolled on I mean he does such a great job for Seattle um, Busio or Williams to, to get a start just to get them some, some confidence under their belt to, to see that Triple G does believe in them in a starting role um, especially with, with the people that are there I absolutely think that those players could get a start um, but was happy to see Busio come on make his debut and Williamson come in as well because when they did and the formation was shifted there did seem to be a little bit more control uh, in, in the U.S. men's national team side 
So those are my thoughts on the initial roster and kind of the selection. Yeah. The only players I would have liked to have started, well, I, I didn't, and I still don't understand the Jonathan Lewis thing. We'll get into yeah. that more as we go into who fell and who rose on the depth mm-hmm. chart. But I, I just don't understand that. We, we saw him earlier this year and I, he's only started two games for the Colorado Rapids. And I, he's, he's a one trick pony for me. He lacks decision-making and, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I wanted to see Daryl DK star, but on the broadcast they were talking about, you know, he's, he's played a lot over the past yeah, year right. with Orlando city and Barnsley. So, so I completely understand it, but instead of Lewis, I wanted to see Matthew Hoppy because I, I don't honestly know much about him. I saw that month where he blew up at Schalke when he was scoring a lot mm-hmm. of Fox in the box type goals for the worst team in the Bundesliga, which is mm-hmm. if you're scoring goals for them, like that's pretty good. Cause you're playing competitions better than you, but he was scoring a lot of those goals. Like I just said, that were Fox in the box. So, you know, I don't know much about him. And one of the criticisms coming into this tournament for the roster selection overall was the lack there of depth on the wings. And we saw us come out with Jonathan Lewis and Paul Areola and not going to get too far into it, but Areola came out and, you know, we thought maybe Giacchini would start, but he did end up coming in. So, um, so there, there is a lack of depth there and just looking at the bench, like, there, there's not a whole lot you can do with the wide players. Um, so, so then you have to question the system and the formation, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But the midfield of Leggett, Yule, Acosta, I'm cool with Leggett and Acosta. I like, I like them starting in there. Greg went with a pretty safe starting 11, I think, guys that he trusted. So that's why he put those guys there, right. including Yule. I don't think he was ever going to start, although we would have wanted him to, Williamson or Busio in the midfield as well. Yeah. But that wasn't going to happen. So I understand it, but I, I'm kind of happy it happened. I'm kind of happy the midfield started that way just because Yule kind of played himself out of contention, I believe, for his spot. But we'll get into that. Uh, defense, Vines, Robinson, Zimmerman, Moore. Other than I didn't know much about Shaq Moore. I thought maybe Reggie Cannon would start. Uh, I knew Rob or I knew Robinson and Zimmerman would probably start. There was a toss up between Vines and Bellow. I was fine with either of them. But you know, overall, I, I I tweeted out before the game. I was like, man, this this roster seems like it really lacks creativity, and and it really did. It like we scored we we scored one goal, I believe, in the seventh minute from a Sam Vines header from inside the six that came from. A flick off Giassi Zardes after the ball was bouncing around in the box. So just like what we saw with the U23s failing to qualify for the Olympics, I'm not saying this is going to be a failure, but it's the same kind of roster build and the same kind of starting 11s that we saw with that team as well. So that was my initial reaction to seeing that lineup without getting too deep into details. But, Mike D, we'll go ahead and step into the next segment here of the starting eleven. For you, give me a couple of guys who climbed up the depth chart and a couple of guys who fell down the depth chart in their positions. Well, I think the two obvious ones here for stock up are going to be Shaq Moore and John Lucabusio, right? I mean, Shaq Moore played 76 minutes, had a shot that was blocked, uh, eight crosses and 80% accuracy with, the, with passing, you know, filling in for Reggie Cannon. He showed he can be an outside back that can get up the field and, and provide for the attack. So I think his stock absolutely went up. Um, Gianluca Busio made his debut. Now he's cap tied. 28 minutes played. He had a shot that was a screamer um, that, if not otherwise um, saved by by a strong hand, would have been a goal, I believe, top down. And uh, 90% pass success. You know, 35 touches, two recoveries, 
when he came in the game, there was like a minute or two where it looked like he was just trying to get, get sorted, but he, he eventually did fall into place. He's calm. He's poised. He's positionally sound. You could see him shifting from, from position to position, finding gaps where he could receive the ball turn and then go forward. Uh, and if not still finding gaps where he could be support to, to, you know, play the ball backwards or play the ball side to side. Um, he's got all the confidence in the world for his age. And I think given more minutes and given more time and more chemistry with some of these guys, he's going to be an absolute asset to this team, no matter where they're playing. So he's, those two are stock up for me. Um, let me, let me go ahead. And do, let me go ahead and do my stock up really quick because I okay, agree with you. Okay, okay. I, I agree with you with one of them. Uh, Shaq Moore didn't know a lot about him, like I said earlier, but he did look great. Uh, I believe it was the twenty second minute. I was like, Mike D, I'm the first guy to tweet about Shaq Moore. This guy's awesome, right? Because he was. He was getting up and down that whole right side. He was playing as a wing back, and he was getting back on defense and doing his job defensively. You said he had how many crosses? Eight. Eight crosses. So, so I love the volume of the amount of crosses, and I saw some accounts saying that, oh, he's one of the best crossers in the national team pool. A lot of those crosses didn't get past the first man, which is something that he can work on, but I do like that he's getting himself in spots to provide that. Can that be improved upon? Very easily, but I do like that he's so versatile in getting forward, getting back. Uh, he, he, he's able to counter press really easily. He won a ball play to give and go and had a shot at one point. And I was like, okay, this kid's going up in the depth chart right now. So Shaq Moore is one of them. Another guy that of course I love Mike D you love him too. Who do, who do we love? Kellen. Kellen, Kellen Costa, man. Oh, over the past couple months, this guy's played uh, six, eight left back and right back. This guy has literally played every single, pos- not every single position, but four different positions for this team. He's so versatile for this team. So a player that can do that is so meaningful and so important to a team, even if they just come in off the bench. So if he goes there in qualifiers and somebody gets injured, he's got to come in off the bench. That's great. But one of the things that just Kellen Acosta continues to impress me is his ability to play balls with both feet, his range with both his right and his left foot, whether it's a ping diagonal ball, keeping possession, playing vertical. He played one ball to Giacchini uh, with the outside of his right foot, blind pass, wasn't even looking, played him in. Giacchini played it in off the uh, – well, he, he hit it off the post and didn't end up finishing. But Kellen Acosta is the, the glue to this team. And the way Kellen Acosta has been performing over the past six months for club and country – Kellen Acosta's got to be a part of the 23-man roster for World Cup qualifying. So those are my two main ones. Legit, he didn't hurt himself. Uh, he also didn't help himself. He was a very neutral game. I'm pretty sure he was 69. Uh-huh. He was 69 for 69 passing. He did have 100%. I was just going to say, somebody that I left out that I wanted to put in here was legit because he kind of he flies under the radar. So – you're right. 69 or 69 passes. So hundred percent accuracy there. That's quick maths for you guys. Um, he had six total crosses. Three of them were accurate crosses, three long balls. Three of those were accurate Four key passes. Those are, those are passes that led to a shot and 83 touches. So along with five recoveries, he flies under the radar. I mean, he's not the, he's not the attacking 10 that, that you want, but he does what he can. And I think that he kind of, sometimes doesn't get the respect that he probably deserves. But. And that's, that's why I said he didn't help himself or he didn't right. hurt himself just because of 
where he fits in Greg Berhalter's system, he has so much competition. And regardless of how good he does, I don't know if he's ever going to do outdo a Weston McKinney or a Eunice Musa, you know, where Kellen Acosta has that flexibility where he can play the six, he can play the eight. He can obviously play the left back and right back, but legit had a good game. And also I'll shout out Robinson and Zimmerman. Both of them had really sound games at center back. Haiti never really posed a huge issue for the United States men's national team, but they handled their business well. Their distribution was good. I believe Zimmerman was 80 for 85 passing, two shots on goal. Uh, he, he hit one off the one post. One and off the woodwork, he, yeah. Yeah, one went off the woodwork, and then he headed one, uh, and the goalie made a pretty good save. Zimmerman rose above the keeper. Something Robinson has always impressed me with with Atlanta United, which we didn't necessarily see against this Haiti team because we were able to keep the ball on the deck and possess the ball a little bit more is Robinson's ability to play the ball over top. There was a couple weeks ago for Atlanta United when he played, I think it was two absolute dimes to Marcelino Moreno for Atlanta United. I believe it was a couple weeks ago. And, I mean, just his range of passing from the back is, is really, really good. Uh, so I did enjoy that for, for both of those guys. So both of our center backs did good. We don't have a lot of depth at center back for this tournament either. The only other guy we got is Donovan Pines from D.C. United. So don't know how much we're going to be seeing of him. That will James Sands as well, but we'll get into that. Mike, do whose stock went down? Jonathan Lewis. I think Jonathan Lewis' stock went down. 62 minutes played, 62% pass success. He had 18 total touches. 18 it was total touches. It was um, for me, one of the things that we need is – we need an attack. We need some sort of creativity attack. We need to score goals, right? Like I said, at the beginning of it, we're bringing it full circle. (laughs) We're bringing it full circle. You have to score more goals than the other team and you have to not give up goals and then you win games. Right. So can we, can we title this podcast that you got to score more? Yep. We'll, we'll do it. We'll we'll talk about it. But his, (laughs) his stock went down for me because, um, Clearly, Greg Berhalter saw something in him to get in the start over Matthew Hoppe um, or even uh, Gia, Giacchini. Is that how you say it? Gia, Giacchini. Giacchini, yeah. But we know that uh, Greg said that he's not – he wasn't fully fully match fit. So, um, him coming in was just because of the, the areola. Uh, so, so I just, just – I want to draw a comparison here, Mike T. So, we've played soccer our whole lives. You've been on teams where, you know, if you're starting or even if you're on – excuse me, you're on the bench – the coach is starting some guy and you're like, why in the hell is he starting this guy? There's so much more talent on the bench that could play better than him. Yeah. But you, you know, you know, deep down, you're like, that's coach's guy and he's going to start him day in and day out, you know, Mm -hmm. and to, yeah, that's just the reality of the situation. Right. right? It's just, you know, it's just the the nature of the situation. Um, But, but let me, let me ask you this. Was, was that the last straw? Um, I think that Jonathan Lewis doesn't get to start next game. That's what I'll say. I think that somebody else – I think that Greg will give somebody else an opportunity. I think Matthew Hoppy will probably get an opportunity. Matthew um, Hoppy. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I think about that. But for me, I didn't, I didn't think anybody else really did anything um, that really their stock went down. I mean, Jackson Yule played how Jackson Yule did. I mean, he was getting pressed a lot and kind of coughed the ball up every – you know, in some situations. But – that's Greg's guy, just like you talked about. I mean, I don't, it's Greg's guy. Um, I would love to see other people get a position there to start just to see what kind of things can happen, but um, we'll see what happens. 
Do we want to move into? Do we want to? No, no. I, I got I got some stock down. Oh I yeah, got you, got, you got stock down. down. You got stock. All right, so so obviously I got Jonathan Lewis as well. I I, I kind of said my piece. Like I don't understand why he's on the field. His decision making is slow. He he doesn't know what to do when he gets inside the box. He panics. He doesn't start for his club. Don't know why we're starting him for country. I get that he's got pace and. Charlie Davies did say something pretty good after the match the other night on extra time that they, they did on Twitter and they ended up putting on as the actual podcast. But Charlie Davies said, you know, he's, he's a one trick pony. The guy's fast. Take a touch and beat a guy in line. You don't need to do anything else. Do what you're good at. This is CONCACAF brother. This isn't euros. Like do what you're good at here. If you've got speed, beat a guy down the line. That's it. Okay. If you can do it, do it. But he's not even doing that. He had 18 touches, and none of them were high-quality, valuable touches and good spaces that were any kind of danger. So, again, we're not deep at these positions right now for the Gold Cup. So Matthew Hoppy is probably the next guy up. The only other guy that I could possibly say stocked down maybe was our goal scorer, Sammy Vines. There was a couple times he was caught out of position way too high up the field. It might seem a little harsh to say stock down, but you have to play defense first. That's very important. Sammy Vines flies up and down that flank for the Colorado Rapids, right? And I just think that he needs to be a little bit more in tune with the system here and understand that there's you, you can't get caught out of position. This is a tournament. You know, he made his first meaningful start for the U.S. men's national team the other night against Haiti and you know granted he scored the goal he almost gave up a goal by being so far out of position and that was, oh, that when was the one with uh, Derek Etienne they, they took the ball in line they played the seven ball to Derek Etienne because there was miles of space on that right. left hand side yeah, yeah. so saying stock down might be a little harsh but maybe Sam Vines needs to be a little bit more aware of his role within the team and Greg Berhalter can you know let him know that but Sammy Vines needs to know that there's there's another guy there that's still looking for his first cap as well, George Bello. And George Bello's had a hell of a season for Atlanta United. He's played for the U.S. national youth teams as well, and he's a pretty good player. So there's going to be a competition there. And there's, you know, not a not saying there's not a lot of competition across the field, but that's one competition I would circle and I would look at and see, you know, who does he start next game? How do they perform there? Are they positionally sound? You know, if Sam Vine start, how did he react? You know, what, what did he take from that first game in the competitive game that he played? And, you know, if Bellow gets a start, you know, what does he do differently from Sam Vines? Because left back is kind of up for grabs right now between Anthony Robinson, Sammy Vines, Sergio Dest, if he goes over there. So that's, that's a position of need right now. So we'll see going forward. We got Martinique coming up. So it doesn't really matter who we start because Martinique really probably isn't going to do anything against us. The meaningful hey. game is – the, the big game is – We probably should have – we probably thought I, – I, mean, I said it before the game against Haiti. I said we we're probably going to blow this team out. You did. You did say that, right? I said, this, these guys had five guys missing <laughs> from their roster because of COVID. And there were times when I was like, wow, I mean, they're taking it to us. They didn't play scared, you know? I mean, Mm-mm. so I, I don't know, man. I'm – yeah, and we, we saw it on the – I think it was the first night of the Gold Cup when Mexico played Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad and Tobago just parked the bus and said, you know what, if you're going to beat us, you got you got to score goals. Granted, Mexico had a 1,000 shots, but they just couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're going to get in CONCACAF. Like, we can't expect to go in and beat Haiti 5-0 and come out and beat, beat the brakes off of Martinique 6-1 to or 6-0. 
or not even Canada anymore. Canada's going to give us a fucking war when we play Canada, to be honest with you. They got just about as talented of a roster as definitely as talented as we have here, but you know, they're, they're on the up and up right now. Yeah. But one other player I have that's stocked down, you were kind of on the fringe about it, Jackson Yule. For me, I saw Will Trapp play his way out of the national team a couple years ago, and I think Jackson Yule just did it a couple nights ago against Haiti. I think he has played his way out of the picture as a national team six. Greg Berhalter came out with a quote after the game. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it referenced – you know, players not being able to play on the half turn and not playing attacking enough football and not being able to go forward fast enough. And I think that was honestly a direct shot or an indirect Sub-tweet. shot Sub-tweet. Yeah. At, ja- at Jackson Yule. I saw multiple highlights this game where Jackson Yule's standing in the position to receive a ball on the half turn, and he can take that touch into the space. He's taking that peak. And backwards. He, and he knows – exactly. He knows there's that space, and he's still going backwards. He, he's – it's such a habit for him. It's second nature for him to always go backwards. And Mike D, I said something earlier a couple months ago. I said, I f- maybe Eli Lesser was on the show, but I said for Jackson Yule to be a national team player, he needs to get the hell out of San Jose mm-hmm. because he plays no sort of system like Greg plays there. So I, I think Jackson Yule played his way out of contention for the six. At least I hope so. I don't hope he has a bad career or anything. He's a great club player, not a great country player. Whatever. Uh, James Sands, Eric Williamson, and John Luca Busio all made their national team debuts. How'd you think they went? Uh, I mean, I talked about it a little bit with Busio. I thought that he did well. He didn't get a whole lot of time. Um, I think Williamson looked uh, frazzled a little bit. Um, you know, there were, he had some good moments, definitely some good moments. Um, you know, I just, I think I've seen him play really, really well at Portland and um, wanted to see that, but, you know, coming in as, as late as he did and being thrown into it and not having a whole lot of time with this team compared to Portland, you know, you're going to see some of that. I think, I don't think he played poorly. I just, it wasn't what I normally am, am used to seeing from him um, at, at, uh, at Portland. But um, James Sands honestly didn't pay too much attention to him. You're not going to be <laughs> not going to even lie. Well, James Sands, when he came on, they switched to the three-five-two, and that's the that is the system that he plays in New York for New York City FC. And he came out today and said, you know, I'm I'm very comfortable with doing that, and if we want to continue doing that going forward, like let's go. I'm ready for that. And so I, I think James Sands, he came in, he, he won a lot of balls. I think James Sands is a little bit bigger than I thought James Sands was. Uh, he won some headers. He's a really good distributor out of the back. He is a deep line playmaker and can do so out of a center, uh, out of a, a halfback position in the, in the middle of a, a three-man back. So I, I really like what James Sands offers this team because he offers flexibility for the formation if he comes in. And Eric Williamson and John Luca Busio, I just talked about the inability of Jackson Yule to be able to play on the half turn or play with any kind of creativity or combine. And that is exactly what John Luca Busio and Eric Williamson can do. Yeah, John Luca Busio took a minute to get his feet under him and he ended up connecting some passes and things like that. Eric Williamson drew a foul, I remember. He did turn a guy. Uh, he, he went on the dribble a couple times. He connected a couple passes. He had an okay game. He had, according to FOTMOB, the app, he had a better game than Gianluco Busio, but both of them do provide 
more of a creative outlet out of the middle than say a Jackson Yule. You know, if we could compare, if we could pair like Busio with the Costa in there, Busio or Acosta with Williamson, I would love either of those combinations with one of the other guys coming off the bench. Like I would love that. I think that offers us the creativity that I was so looking for when I saw the the original lineup come out. Yeah. But Mike, I got one more question for you. However, so we're so used to Greg Berhalter playing the same system, the four three three, the double pivot, blah, 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 blah. Then he switched it up to the five three two and defense, the three five two and attack. Did you like that? I did. I mean, it's they were able to possess the ball better, control the game better when they did that. And that's what that's what they do. I mean, they, they are a possession-oriented team. I wish they would do it a little bit faster and then get forward. I mean, we saw some of it a little bit towards the end of the game. I don't know if it was because it was the dying moments of the game, but, you know, there was a sequence where the U.S. was knocking it all over the place, you know, left to right, through the middle, up, forward, trying to create a chance. and. Um, you know, I think it's it's a good thing. I think that they're going to have to experiment now because of Areola. Um, that, He's going to be we, back. He's going to be back. It was this muscle tightness, apparently. They that's will what be they back said, this but, You know, who knows? Who knows when, right? I mean, and, and again, he could come out and so the same thing can happen. You know, it's just mm-hmm. they're going to they're gonna be keeping an eye on him, of course. So uh, they're going to have to be ready to experiment. So um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they run some some different formations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we if we do a five three two in defense, three five two in attack, same thing. It's gonna, Formation yeah, it's change. change, yeah. Formations change all the time, so it's semantics, whatever you want to call it, five three two, three five two. But I would love to see James Sands in the middle of that with Zimmerman and Robinson on either side, and then maybe Bello to the left, Shaq Moore to the right, Reggie Can to the right. Doesn't matter. And the one thing that I really like about a three five two with a James Sands in the middle of that back three is it. You know, you're already at a numerical advantage. Like, teams are playing more than two strikers up top, so you already got one free center back. And if that's James Sands, James Sands is a deep-line playmaker, so your two guys that are in front of him, uh, your double pivot or whatever, whether it's Busio and Acosta or Williamson Acosta, Legit Acosta, whatever, those guys don't have to come back and get the ball as much because James Sands has more range, you know, because he has the deep-line playmaker already. He can connect from there, and we can play a little bit higher up the pitch, which I really like. And we'd switch the three five two after experimenting with Giassi on the left there for a little bit, which was confusing because somebody tweeted at me. I'm like, oh, you know, Triple G doesn't want to switch formations. That's why Giassi's out there. He played for the Galaxy out left five years ago. You know, he trusts him. And then he made that change. So I was really happy about that. But I think ultimately it comes down to, in that formation, like what two would you play up front together? Because we saw Daryl DK and Giassi Zardes play out top together, but they're very – they're not similar players, but they have very similar skill sets, I want to say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think that that is the pairing that is going to give us the best results. You know, maybe a Matthew Hoppy, Daryl DK, maybe a Matthew Hoppy, Jossie Zardes, something like that, yeah, or Giacchini really, in there. Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot they can do, but, yeah, there's, there's some things they can try out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, do we can we – can, we can float around this roster and change mm-hmm. positions and, and formations all night long, baby. But they got a game again on Thursday, and we got to get this podcast out. Mm-hmm. You got any? You got anything else uh, else to cover? We covered the crew, Toronto, Cincinnati, best attackers in the league, goals of the week, Romel Kyoto, Diego Rubio, U.S. national team. What else? Anything else for us? I think that's it. I think I think we got it. I, I hope to see a little bit more 
sense of urgency in the attack with uh, this next game against Martinique coming up on Thursday. But um, that's all I got. Hey, yeah, the U.S. national team plays on Thursday, Thursday mm-hmm. night. Thursday, yeah. yeah. And, and then we got week 13 of MLS action coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. So, guys, listeners, thank you for listening to MLS Gun Wild. Follow us on social media at MLS Gun Wild and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you guys enjoy podcasts. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace.